A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 243 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of our multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman, and with me like a Star Wars fan looking for his Legends fix, the EU guru himself, the count of our two continuities, Mr. Nathan B. Butler! Hey everybody! Actually, I think it should be the other way around, though. I don't think I'm the one who's getting the Legends fix right now. I'm the one who's giving the Legends fix right now. Uh, for those who don't know, don't follow the Facebook page or anything, um, I recently started selling off a giant chunk of my Star Wars library. Because I don't have the Star Wars Timeline Gold going anymore, I don't need the reference library, and space is really at a premium here to the point where a lot of that stuff was going to go into storage or something. And my thing is, you know, if you put it somewhere like in storage or if it's not on display, if it's a collection, what's the point, you know? Um, that tends to be my mindset. So I wound up being able to find good homes for a lot of stuff um, with some folks who were needing things. Uh, it helps that I'm able to kind of fill in the gaps for some of the rarer, harder to find stuff for a lot of folks because it's basically all here. Um, the first thing that wound up being sold off actually was the Contemporary Motivators comic from the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, so. You know, it's been good in that sense. I uh, was able to make a lot of people happy, which is awesome. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of been a liberating thing because now I'm able to expand my home video library and have plenty of space for it. I'm able to put my Canon stuff um, and the remaining Legend stuff. I didn't sell all of it. The, the stuff that I kept, I keep all that kind of on a couple of shelves instead of spread out across quite a few. I'm just making it a lot easier to manage and making it so that I can actually, you know, feel like, I can collect rather than it being every time I get something new. Oh God, where am I going to put this? You know? Right. So yeah, so, I'm definitely the drug dealer of legends <laughs> right now. Basically say, you want to buy some death sticks? So everybody's coming gonna... to me and being like, hell yeah, I want to buy some death sticks. <laughs> so what are your legends must keeps? I mean, what are the things, where was the line in Nathan sand drawn? Um, well, I mean, in comic wise, I mean, I kept uh, legacy of course. Uh, mm -hmm. And even Legacy Volume 2, because it continues on, I kept uh, Tales of the Jedi, I kept the Infinity stuff, the, the what-if type Infinity stuff, um, mm -hmm. I've kept stuff like Legacy of the Force, um, the signed stuff, I mean, anything I had that was signed stays. Okay. Um, and that turned out to be a lot of stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, just stuff like that, you know, just the stuff that I thought, either I'm going to reread it someday, or it's special to me in some way, or perhaps there's some other like reference reason like i didn't get rid of any of the guidebook type stuff you know that sort of okay. thing i could still go back to those things because my thought process was that you know at this point if i'm going to go back and reread anything book wise it pretty much has to be something i'm rereading on kindle because mm -hmm. i just don't have time to read outside of that most of the time it's usually while i'm going to sleep on my kindle paper white that is lit by itself so i can just sit there and read without disturbing my wife or my my son mm -hmm. um whereas if I'm trying to read a comic, 
it's a little more hit or miss which ones are actually available digitally. Mm-hmm. But also some of those, you know, I had from the Dark Horse Digital where I think you can still get access to them, even though they can't sell them anymore because they're still in your library, stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, it was a kind of a mixed bag sort of thing. And then I, I've taken my Canon shelf and my Canon shelf is now shrunk down in the sense that early on I was like, "Ooh, there's like five different versions of this friggin book. I'm going to get all five. Right, right. No, now it's like I'm keeping one and I'm getting rid of the other ones, unless there's multiple signed ones, like in the case of, you know, Thrawn or Bloodline that I have. So it's just been, you know, it's been sort of a liberating feeling. I, I've thought about it for quite a while and getting to the point where now it's kind of like, yeah, now is the time. And I know there's people like, you're a Legends trader, man. Trader! I can't believe you sold off some stuff. But again, it's not because it's Legends. Yeah. Um, the, the canon stuff I'm hanging on to more, although I thought about selling off some of it more because I think it's more likely to be something we'll need for this show at -hmm. some point. Um, and the, uh, the other stuff is less likely to come back unless we do something like a new Jedi order retrospective. But if we do that, I'm going to have to get it digitally anyway, to have any chance of reading back through it. Um, it was just the well, fact- and that that's something that I wanted to bridge off of because that's the hard one there because you think about the digital the the audiobooks and stuff that came out before that the audiobooks were like butchered the mm-hmm. the digital the digital weren't though right those were left completely yeah, the digital unabridged. books are just the digital books are just the regular copies of the books um but yeah the the audio which I do have quite a few of um the, but they're digital so they're not audiobooks that I would be able to sell or anything like that mm-hmm. um those were yeah those were quite abridged but yeah i mean it's just it's just one of those things where it was sort of a now is the time i was gonna have to do it at some point and i'm sure at some point i'll start culling through a lot of the canon stuff the issue right now with the canon stuff is that a lot of the younger reader stuff doesn't have a a digital equivalent so even if i wanted to switch to digital and sell off physical stuff other than special ones that i've got Mm -hmm. one some of the stuff couldn't be digital anyway and two Right now, I still prefer to get any review copies we get in physical form because that way if it's an ARC that they send, an, an advanced reader, uh, uncorrected proofs copy, I've got that in physical form as part of a collection, which is another thing that I kept. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but it's, you know, it's still one of these things. I think this episode, if anything, will help prove that, you know, legend is certainly still near and dear to my heart. But from the standpoint of, you know, just having the space for everything. I mean, I we don't have a giant house. I would need one of those libraries that, like, you walk in – uh, on a movie and there's like those giant sliding ladders and stuff. <laughs> I, I was kind of getting to that point if I wasn't going to have everything doubled and tripled up and it just, it just wasn't feasible to hang on to everything anymore. I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. Got to work on the timeline with it for years, but now it's sort of a freeing prospect, which is the way I feel about reading a lot of stuff. Now I'm able to read it without having to take that timeline eye to it, which of course is something that'll play into our topic this time, which is actually a topic that was suggested by a listener, one of our longtime listeners. So I guess, Mark, what are we talking about this time? And then I can give a little bit of a preface of uh, the quotes, the uh, posts that led us here. Yes, yes. In fact, one of the first beyonders I've ever met. Now here it's, yeah. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we look back at the last five years of Disney-era publishing. The highs, the lows, how it compares to the early years of the expanded universe, now Legends, as well as what's worked, what's needed to work, 
and the story group's role in shaping a new universe for us all to explore. Now consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. That's right. And again, the topic came from one of our listeners. I think there's also a comment made by another listener that puts also in perspective another reason why something like this probably needed to be done. So we start with Daniel Contreras, who was the one who actually brought up this idea in the first place. No, this is not our Alphabet Squadron episode, as you just heard Mark say. We're pushing that back so we can do this as our sort of return from not being able to record for a while. So Daniel said, hey, Star Wars Beyond the Films, we're approaching the fifth anniversary of Disney-era canon. It would be great to see an episode looking back on the past half decade of published material, the highs and lows, what they got right, the biggest things that need fixing, how it compares to the early years of the EU in novels, comics, bringing in new characters, integrating existing ones, Lucasfilms and the story group's vision and philosophy regarding published material, what you think their goals were and are regarding the two eras, the difference in relationships with the fans and online community over the past 30 years. It's a topic to springboard a ton of discussions, including listener feedback, which will be awesome to be able to get some listener feedback on the episode as well. And then Adam J. Taylor also stepped in, first commenting, saying, uh, that's a great idea. Of all the podcasts I listen to, I always look to Nathan and Mark to bring the deep, educated, and heartfelt truth of the matter. Never biased, even though they're probably two of the biggest fans of the saga around. So, good tip of the hat there. That's good. Hopefully we can keep this uh, to our opinions and be as fair as possible. Mm-hmm. He also then said something that resonated with me, which mm, was... Me too. I need some Star Wars counseling. It's been a mixed bag of emotions for the past five years, from excitement at the news that Disney was making new films, to heartbreak that the EU was being euthanized, to reconcile with the idea, acceptance that I had to move on, nostalgia and tears of joy at The Force Awakens, to horror at how much I hated The Last Jedi, and how little it did to continue the story or interest me, to apathy now, where I don't know if Star Wars as an ongoing franchise can make me feel the way it did for 30 years anymore. Uh, That, I think, stood out to me as one of those sort of uh, you know, what's what's the line from uh, uh, from Batman? This town needs an enema. I don't, I don't think an enema is exactly the right thing. I think more of a, uh, a good discussion. But to some degree, over time, you know, Star Wars fans, we sort of get clogged up in the that was a purposeful phrasing clogged up in sort of the things going on and the the, the outrage culture and all this kind of stuff. And it gets to a point where you have to sort of clear your head or clear your system, so to speak in order to be able to look at things with fresh eyes and just be able to enjoy what we have enjoyed. Um, sometimes that takes a, a different perspective and whatnot. So it'll be interesting to dig into here. Now, for what it's worth, thinking back five years, what we're talking about is dating back to 2014. Now, that's the year in which we had Blade Squadron. That's the year in which we had A New Dawn. It's the year in which we had Son of Dathomir. Son of Dathomir, of course, being that weird situation where... Sort of when they made the new canon, they just sort of copied and pasted G canon and T canon into a new universe and built on that. And with the T canon came Son of Dathomir, having been based on previously existing Clone Wars scripts. I thought that was always kind of a known thing. Recently, we discovered on Facebook that it had been reconfirmed because people didn't realize it had been confirmed, you know, half a decade ago. Um, When it turned out that, yeah, yeah, that is still the case. That's been the case since 2014, that it is straddling both continuities just like clone wars and the original films are um but that was the year in which all of that was being pushed now we didn't see any marvel comics until early the following year mm-hmm. but we did have the launch back in 2014 it was after we'd already been told it was coming after the announcement of the purchase had already taken place previously but as we were getting into new stories so really kind of the launch of this not 
uh, an anniversary necessarily of the announcement of the Disney purchase itself. Or when um, we found out that the EU had had its stroke and it was <laughs> in a coma. It was like, now we're calling it Legends. April 25th. I still remember the day. I still remember tweets. Mark's daughter is named Jaina. What's he going to do? I'm like, what, 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 do you, what am I going to, what, what's going on? And I had to research because at first, you know, Twitter was blowing up. But I mean, I'm in that boat of needing a little counseling as well. I can't wait till we get to that part because I think it's going to be very helpful for a lot of people. <laughs> well, let me say this. Um, my initial, I guess, initial reactions, I guess, would be a good thing to get into then here. So my initial reaction whenever we found out was sort of a, yeah, that's about right. Um, I wasn't really kind of sure what to expect next. I was wary at the time. But I remember when they first announced that Disney was acquiring Lucasfilm and would be making new films. That, to me, was this big earthquake of, oh, God, what's going to happen? The floor is coming out from underneath us. Because mm -hmm. at that point, there's not a whole lot of options that could exist. Number one, they could purchase it and make no new films which is never going to happen because that is the bulk of what Star Wars is, at least to the general public, and that's where they make the money. So, of course, they were going to make new films. So the idea of just leaving everything as it was wasn't going to happen. And then I went into this on a, uh, a vlog very early on in my uh, Voice of Reason or Lack Thereof vlog on YouTube. Uh, the other option was they make new films, which was going to happen. They could either make films that were completely so, you know, out of the mainstream, out, you know, in the in the boonies of the galaxy or a different time period or whatever, that they really didn't reference anything else. That probably wasn't going to happen because you knew that they were going to want to build on connections to the previous films as a way of building an audience. And they could have said, OK, well, we're going to put these films uh, in it so that it actually matches what existed within the Legends continuity. But you couldn't really do that. Because if you did that, you'd basically be requiring homework. I and mean, there's not a lot mm -hmm. of places you could put the stories anyway. But you would still have required people to essentially do homework to understand it. Or you're in a situation where basically um, you have to do a, a reboot, either a partial reboot or a full reboot, and say, we're going to create these new films that remove what's already there, kind of like what Lucas did with the Clone Wars cartoon series, since they never did bother to uh, find a way to make everything reconcile, which really I don't think was possible. Um, so they would have had to either come in and say, OK, well, we're going to make this new sequel trilogy. So everything maybe after Return of the Jedi is rebooted, but everything else is fine. But then you go into questions like, well, what about something like Rogue Planet that was tied into New Jedi Order? Does Rogue Planet still exist? What about this? What about that? Et cetera, et cetera. What about the, you know, Riptide and Cross Current with the time travel stuff? Does this still count? Does that still count? Mm -hmm. um, or you just do a complete reboot, which keeps the Legends slash EU continuity intact and whole, but makes it a separate continuity to what you are creating now. Essentially, you are going from, okay, we were doing the Transformers Generation 1 stuff, but now we're going to stop, and now we're focusing on Energon, Cybertron, Armada, whatever. It's a whole different continuity. Don't worry. There may be some overlap in terms of what they each include, but they never the twain shall meet in the sense that they do not affect each other. Legends remains whole. And to me, of the choices they could have gone with, I think the least disruptive was that they said, okay, we're going to leave this continuity as it was. We're just going to kind of move away from it and start telling these new stories. So Legends is still its own continuity and has its own rules, right? The GTCSN yep. stuff. Whereas now we have this new canon also being built as the primary place that they're putting their efforts. Um, and as it grows and grows quickly, we also have a little bit of growth with Legends with things like the Old Republic. Um, but they're kept as two separate and distinct, essentially, Star Wars universes that allows us to enjoy either, enjoy both, uh, enjoy neither in some cases. Um, mm -hmm. But 
it, it shifts the frustration from being, oh my God, you destroyed what we loved to you're focusing on something other than what we loved originally and what we wanted at the time, perhaps for you to continue with. I think that's a different thing. It's a difference between, you know, a good natured divorce versus a lot of cheating, backstabbing and, you know, trying to take the other one for all they're worth. You know what I mean? It's, it's totally. the difference. It's a difference in tone, even though it was very contentious. I would argue it could have been way more contentious had they not taken that route. So for me, it was a fait accompli that we were going to have some kind of reboot of some kind because of new films. At least they took the route that I would say is of least resistance and least damage. Yeah, and I was hopeful when that one went down. Out of all the choices, that one seemed to make the most sense, and it had the most potential. You know, there was potential for new stories to be told in canon, new directions to be taken with things. Uh, you know, I was looking forward to seeing Leia be a Jedi much younger and much earlier than what we got in Legends. And then there was the option of, you know, well, we could still see Legends growing. And then we find out that that's not going to be the case, that that they thought that it was too confusing to sell Legends books next to canon books, even though they're going to sell old Legends books next to canon books, which to me, like that argument just fell flat. The, the thought that we can't add to the content of Legends, I think, is the, the one backhanded thing for me out of the whole situation. They could have dedicated like one or two writers that still wanted to do stuff in Legends to continue some of the stories. They could have given us some of the books that they had, had hinted about, like what was going to happen with the Jaden Core novel. We knew that there were two more books in that series coming. We knew there was going to be a sort of the Jedi book and or trilogy of books. Uh, you know, there were stories and things left open that they could have done a Tales of Legends, uh, you know, and give us some things in that regard for the people that were invested in that universe for so long. And I think for me, like, that's the one side of the missed opportunity with potential that really bothers me the most because, you know, for so long, the people in Lucasfilm and in Delray and, and all the people in power and stuff, they were the cheerleaders for the Legends universe, you know, that expanded universe. And as soon as it became Legends, it was like, we don't talk about Legends. Like, you know, like, yeah, we liked it, but that's as far as we're going to do. We're not going to discuss what we liked or how we liked it. We're just going to move forward. And what we did like, we're going to talk about in the aspect of, hey, look, we brought Thrawn over into the new canon. See, we love Legends, too. And by doing that the way they did that kind of makes it feel a little backhanded because it's like, yeah, we love these things, but we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to express what we love until it's time to just showcase our new baby. You know, it's like it's like when you have a really nice Firebird, it's it's old and stuff, but you get this new Dodge Viper and it's like, no, we're not going to talk about all the great things that the, the Firebird had and what we did in the Firebird. We're just going to talk about the cool stuff we're going to do in this other car. And if, you know, you have some sentimental rooting to that Firebird, like maybe I was conceived in that Firebird, buddy, like, you know. There's a little bit of, I don't know, frustration, kind of resentment that starts to grow and it festers. And I think for me, that's been the issue that I've been dealing with the most is that festering feeling. You know, I named my children after characters all from Legends, characters that don't exist in the new canon, haven't been brought over and probably will not be brought over. Uh, you know, Gavin was named after Gavin Darklighter from the Rogue Squadron series, an easy character that you could slap a name on of anybody and bring a character over like that. Um, you know, I almost named him after Karan Horn at one point, another character that I would love to see jump over, even if it's not the same Karan. I just want to see those names. You know, we saw Jason in the form of Jason Sindula, but we still haven't got a Jaina or a Mara Jade. Um, and I get why we're not going to get those characters to come over. But it's that aspect of, you know, we've been invested in this stuff for so long that some of us have named our children after these characters because we love them so much. 
and that feeling of, well, now they're just not worthy enough. And then you've got some people out there that are literally pushing that envelope of, well, you know, it was never good enough. It was never canon to begin with. And, you know, sometimes when people open up their mouth and go in on that one, it's like it's clear how much of the history they're overlooking, choosing to overlook or, or just phrasing in a way to make it sound disingenuous. And I, I don't know, for me, that became a big issue of, well, there's all this potential for the stories in the new canon stuff. So I'm okay with that because there's all this potential. It's great. I'm looking forward to this potential. But then as things started to come out, the new direction for certain aspects of the characters weren't so great for me. You know, I am not a fan of what they've done with Luke Skywalker. I absolutely loathe the direction that they have taken Luke, Leia, and Han. Uh, you know, that's that I think is my biggest target. Uh, for canon right now that is the one thing i can put my finger on and say i hate this i'm not a fan of that at all and a big chunk of that too comes into real life i mean with carrie fisher passing away the direction they were taking leia it sounds like is a big shift uh it sounded like they were going to make her a badass jedi leader and resistance figurehead that everyone rallies around and she was going to be the big star and then she passed away and they had to just I mean, I don't know if they had to, but they chose to take that old footage, which kind of binds their hands. I mean, now you've only got so many, you know, directions you can take Leia reaching up with this hand and down with that hand and hugging this character and that character. What can you do with all this? It's kind of like a puzzle. Like you've got all the pieces, but you don't know what the picture is. And now you've got to make a picture out of it and make it work. And I, I have faith that JJ is going to do the best he can, but it's not the original intention. It wasn't their original plan. And it also seeds some negativity into my frustration with what's going on with the new canon now that said in the aspect of highs and lows there are things about the new canon that i absolutely love rebels for instance i think rebels is probably one of the best things to come out of canon and it's also illustrates one of the frustrations i have with the new canon there have been very few new and original characters and further characters that once have been introduced have been picked up in other things and ran forward with now getting to see can uh, show up in, in some comics and some novels was awesome. Uh, but I, I feel like there's still not enough. I mean, they really invested time into Ezra's character and helped with Ahsoka. And those are characters that I would still love to read more about. And yet we're not really getting any of that. And it almost feels like the best things in canon are all being saved for the screen, whether it be big screen or small screen. And I think that that's another aspect of what's frustrating the hell out of me. Because one of the things I love the most about Legends were the stories that were bombastic, the over-the-top, the galaxy shaking, or character changing. You know, they never made a book version of Dark Empire, but every book referenced the fact that Luke Skywalker fell to the dark side and it profoundly impacted his character. Uh, and so for me, having Grandmaster Luke and going with Luke, that was always my bread and butter. When I would get a new Luke story, I could read that thing in almost one night. Now, going back with stuff like if I was in New Jedi Order on Luke, going back to Mindar, for example, with uh, Shadows of Mindar, I did not enjoy that book. There was just something about going back with Luke. I felt like I was past that point. I didn't want to go back unless it was filling in on something that was going to impact Luke currently as Grandmaster Luke with a wife and a kid. I, you know, I wasn't as attached and I miss that. I miss having a character that I look forward to reading about so much that I can't set the book down. And what they've done with Luke has definitely ruined that for me right now. Like I just want to fill in a couple gaps 
as to how Luke became the D bag that I think he is in the last Jedi. And, and I liked the last Jedi when it first came out, but the more I watch that film, the more I start to loathe it, the more I start to hate it. I, I just, there's so much about it that I just don't care for. There's still a lot of things that I liked in it. The cinematography was awesome. There were a lot of great moments and the new round of characters, the Ray, the Poe Dameron and the Finn. I actually enjoy those characters a lot, but I don't feel like the trade-off that we got, you know, Chewie lives, but now we've lost Han and Luke and possibly Leia. Like that to me is a trade-off that I think that they bet on wrong and it, it's I, I hate to say it, but I feel like it's definitely damaged the saga for a lot of fans. Sweet Jiminy, that was a shotgun approach. That's a lot of it, a lot of stuff. Um so wow. Um all right, so just <laughs> contextualizing here, uh back to what you said about you know the people saying, you know, it was never canon and so on. Let's be clear on what it was, right? Because that could be taken also very disingenuously the other direction as well. Right? True. There was never a point where, for the Legends or EU continuity, where prior to the launch of this new canon, there was never a point where the Star Wars novels, comics, video games, and so on, the licensed works were considered, quote, canon on par with the films. And you got to use a phrase that's specific, because to say something where it's not canon, Canon was misused as a term or used in so many different ways in different contexts up until really they they really revealed the whole thing of like a tiered structure for the Holocron continuity database that the word almost was meaningless. This is canon. This is not. This is quasi canon. It's not. This is that they, they just threw around the term with different people saying it to mean different things. There was never a point where the books, comics, video games, and so on of the Legends continuity were canon on par with the films. Even before they revealed any type of structure officially, you could see at any time we were dealing with contradictions. If you had you know, comics and stuff uh, for the EU, it all needed to make sure that it was uh, referencing the films and not contradicting the films because the films took precedence as Lucas's vision. But then they often also said, okay, well, these novelizations are closer to, or these comic adaptations, these radio dramas are closer to the original source than anything that is a spinoff. So they are taking some precedence. And yet the films take precedence over the novelization because Yoda's not blue and so on and so on. Uh, you had sort of this tiered structure already forming until they eventually revealed what the tiered structure was, but in doing so, they gave the word canon with a letter designation to every level. G canon being Lucas's stuff, the sort of heart of everything, the sort of canon as it exists now. Uh, T canon for not all television, just the Clone Wars. Uh, and then C canon, continuity canon for all the stuff that was meant to fit. And then your S canon, the secondary stuff, the questionable stuff, and then in canon being the stuff that was not continuity. If the existence of the word canon in the label means it was canon at some point. That's idiotic because that means that in canon stuff, stuff that was in dash canon, the letter in non-canon, non-continuity stuff, you're saying that was continuity or canon with everything else you're claiming was canon. Doesn't make logical sense. There was never a point where it was canon on par with the films. The key was that it was the continuity that existed. There were not any new films in the first five years of the Legends continuity. We're saying first five years from starting at 91 because it was only later that they retroactively brought in the stuff from the 70s and 80s, like the Marvel comics, the early Del Rey books. Mm -hmm. At that point, that had not happened yet. We had seen some of the first early contradictions because at that point we had the Trioculus books, the Jedi Prince series. We also had Courtship of Princess Leia. 
but we didn't have new films yet. It wasn't until the year after that five-year mark in 97 where we got the special editions, which tweaked things a bit. Um, most notably things like the Han shot first versus Greedo shot first thing, which altered that scene and altered its connotations in several books and whatnot that were referencing that. Um, yeah, the but, weirdest additions to any film were Lucas's special editions. We're not going to add any scenes of value. We're just going to add some background crap. And sometimes it's really crap. Like, why did, why, why didn't you fix that blue damn top on that escape pod? They well, needed they did it. Eventually. They did eventually. <laughs> um, the point being, though, that you had basically, one, you can't make the argument of this is canon now, and back then that was canon. They, they didn't play by the same rules. Doesn't mean yeah. it wasn't a value, and doesn't mean that it wasn't like the thing that we all thought of as Star Wars continuity at the time, but you probably should be using the word continuity, not canon. because Which, which they did, especially the from Delray. They would, they would use the quote-unquote official continuity, unquote, all right. the damn time. Like, right. which is the that became their I thing. And okay, so you got that aspect of it. Um, we've got the the fact that yeah, they're not. I mean, you hit a lot of stuff. I'm trying to find a way to organize it so we can come back <laughs> to it in any kind of of actual order. Um, uh, I too was someone who named a child after a Legends character, I was Cade. But on the other hand, I knew it going into it. Uh, this change in everything to Star Wars, the reboot, happened the year after I got married. Um, so we were already talking about children at that point. It had already brought up the idea of the name Cade, but it was something we could theoretically have changed in the years leading up to his birth, decided not to do so. Um, I will say that a couple things you mentioned there that maybe we won't get a chance to hit otherwise that I should probably touch on now. Um, one is bringing over Thrawn and whatnot, um, this showing of love. I have no doubt that many of the people who are involved in the current continuity the current canon had a love for legends leland chi in particular pablo hidalgo did um there's there's a love there and a lot of the writers uh who have crossed over had a love for it and are now often sometimes making little side veiled references to it and stuff like that as homages in their books but i do think there is a clear distinction that a lot of times the powers that be don't get between loving an incarnation of a character versus just the character in general. Mm -hmm. um, with Thrawn, there was some backlash initially with this idea. You had some people were like, yay, Thrawn's coming over. He's a favorite character. But then there was the, yeah, but this will be a canonical version of Thrawn, not his old version. So what is he going to be like? Will he live up to it? Will we enjoy this version of the character? Or will it be seen as sort of a disgrace of the original character and so on? Um, and I have to say, that is not by any means an irrational response and trepidation to that type of thing. Not because it could go wrong, but because we had seen it happen before. Mm -hmm. I just recorded a commentary last night for Patreon for the Clone Wars episodes for uh, Hunt for Zero, the Quinlan Voss episode, which came shortly after Sphere of Influence, the Greedo, yes, we said Greedo episode. <laughs> where multiple times it was like, look, we love these two. We're bringing this character over into this thing that is ours, which back then would have been bringing it over into T-Canon rather than C-Canon from C-Canon. Um, again, using that term again, uh, the continuity into the, the in supposedly inviolable stuff. And the result usually, in those cases at least, was not, yay, you brought the character in, that's so cool. With Voss, it was, what have you done to this character? You know, you've butchered the character. He's nothing like himself. He's a beach bum idiot right now. It really took Dark Disciple 
um, which came out late enough that it's not both continuities, it's just canon. Mm-hmm. Um, it took Dark Disciple to kind of rehabilitate that character into sort of what we expected before, the deeper character, the darker character, and so on. With Greedo, it was, it was look, it's Greedo, everybody, it's Greedo. Oh, you got all these retcons already about which one is Greedo and how new was he and the one in Phantom Menace's deleted scenes was his dad and all this stuff, and now we've just screwed all that up? Our bad unretcon that retcon let's re let's let's ret retcon you know what just screw it you know um we're trailblazing here guys these instances in which it was it was heavy-handed and ham-fisted at the same time too to blend (laughs) terms um it didn't work whereas with thrawn it turned out that what they brought over essentially was the best elements of the character we now have a thrawn that is much more sherlock holmes slash moriarty a lot like he was in the thrawn trilogy rather than the one who can see 50 moves ahead and basically predict anybody's actions, you know, half a galaxy away with the slightest effort that we saw in some of his later books um, within Legends. They've kind of, in essence, rehabilitated the character into a, a, the, the core version of himself. Um, but I do think that there is a, a distinct, there, there seems to be, at least to me, a misunderstanding of what it is that makes people love a character if you're going to bring the character from one continuity to another, because there have to be some essential elements that come with them. Otherwise, there's no point. I would also go back to the thing that you said early on uh, about, I don't remember what it was that you were getting into. Um, so I'll just kind of preface this by what was happening at the time. So at this point, we're five years into canon, and we've got a lot of stories centering around the original trilogy characters and sequel trilogy characters, which in some cases are one and the same. We have stories that are in many cases taking place between films of the original trilogy. It's all kind of clustered around that same group. They haven't gone very far afield or anything like that. No, you know, we're going to go into these completely different eras with completely different characters kind of stuff. For the most part, they're playing it safe. They're playing it cautiously, so to speak. Whereas the first five years of the Legends or EU continuity, 91 to 96, you're seeing Dark Empire 1 and 2. You're seeing Tales of the Jedi launching. You're seeing the Thrawn trilogy, you're seeing Courtship of Princess Leia, the Jedi Prince stuff, Jedi Academy, the beginnings of the Black Fleet crisis. Um, Basically, in the time of Legends, what they were doing initially was this idea of we're going to expand beyond the films and see what happens next. Mm -hmm. We are going to look at this era, this era. We're going to jump around a lot in that 25 years after Return of the Jedi, but we're going to tell you different stories that give us sort of a what happens next type of feel. And we're going to give you some of that ancient history that ties into it, like using Tales of the Jedi to tell the stories of the Jedi, like Ulit Keldroma, that were told in the little text in the back of the issues of Dark Empire. Um, It's a very different approach, but I think part of that is dictated by the focus. It's not just that they don't want to do, like these days, they don't want to do anything super momentous in the books or comics so they don't step on the toes of something else. Uh, I mean, we had the Battle of Jakku, but that's about the most momentous thing that we've gotten in most of the rest of it. The books haven't had a lot of general consequence beyond just themselves and maybe a few characters. Um, But that, in a big way, is because of the big events happening in films. With the original stuff, you didn't have films coming up. Like I said, we didn't have even the special editions until a year after that five-year mark. So they didn't have to play to that. And I think that what's happening now, it's not so much a desire to not tell bigger stories. I think a lot of it is this whole idea, kind of like what you were saying, that's that's where it came from. You were saying about, you know, they could have, you know, had, you know, one or two books or something 
that maybe we're still continuing Legends while the rest of it didn't. One, I wonder if that would have been something that would have made it harder for people to adopt the new canon. Whether that little bit of lingering bit would cause them not to jump over, kind of like trickling out a bit of VHS may have stopped some people from jumping to DVD. Mm. Um, just in terms of eras, not quality level. People are going to get pissed. I just mean eras, <laughs> eras of media. Um, but also, I think that what's happening now, a lot of it is dictated by the hype train, basically. It's, you know, we're going to tell these stories. And back then it was like, what's just going to be a fun story to tell that can get us some new stuff? You know, even Black Fleet Crisis is a new year. Let's tell some new stuff and see another galactic, you know, thing that they ran into. Whereas in the case of what's happening now, it's what's the new movie or television series or God forbid, new theme park mm. that's coming. That's going to be the big moneymaker, supposedly the big focus. And how can we use our publishing lines specifically to promote and support that? Not as much with the comics as the books, but yes, the comics also. Um, to some degree, like the Galaxy's Edge comic right now that seems to have no direction other than let's just tell a bunch of flashbacks. Um, but that's kind of where it seems like it's going right now. Back then, there was a freedom that doesn't exist now for the writers. There wasn't this need to hype it up. And you see that back then, eventually. You get mm -hmm. further along, you get to the prequels, and you have a lot of stuff based around the prequels as sort of the hype train, but also trying to build upon the story from them. You see that now. Some of these books trying to build upon the story of the films are doing well, but at the same time, building the hype train for them and so on. Um, so it's not that the original, you know, expanded universe slash legends continuity, it's not that that was immune to the hype train. Yeah. It's that they got a chance to at least get some, get their feet on the ground and get rolling before they had to deal with the hype train. And I wonder if that is such a fundamental difference in approach that that helps explain some of the issues that we're seeing now. The idea of we're not going to have the big stuff in the ancillary materials, it's just going to be in the films and the TV series. That's one thing, but there's much more of the those types of things driving the other publications that is something we just didn't see in those first few years of the Legends continuity. And to me, that is a double-edged sword because I'm enjoy the thing that I enjoy most about the new continuity is the films and Rebels. Not as much Resistance, but uh, maybe. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, at least we can say now, look, there's new films. Yeah, but it's also driving the publication line and it's not really making for as, as engaging of a publication line. Mm -hmm. But back then it was, look at this engaging publication line, but no new films. And yeah. I'm not sure which of those two is best because it depends on if you're looking at Star Wars storytelling or Star Wars spectacle and growth of the franchise. Um, do you need new, new films for Star Wars to survive? The EU would say, no, you don't. But it also wasn't something that had the same kind of growth that we've seen with the burst of new films now. So mm -hmm. it, it's, it's not a, it doesn't have, this, this whole conversation, it doesn't have to be, this is good, this is bad. This was the right way, this was the wrong way. It's, these are different approaches. What are the merits and the drawbacks of each given mm -hmm. the nature of what we've seen. I think that's the most fair way we can approach it because otherwise we're doing a disservice to either the new folks or the older folks, the new fans or the older fans, when we're just fans of Star Wars in general and take what we find entertaining. 
See, and I think Dark Horse had the best plot course when they decided we're going to jump way back and we're going to tell stories that are 25,000 years in the past and then eventually, you know, 140 years in the future. Get away from the core stories that are being told in now would, would be in film and stuff, you know, get away from that and start your own new era in your own branch arm of the galaxy and flesh that out. I mean, that definitely allowed them a freedom that I don't think anybody in legends at that time really had. I mean, you know, you had characters that were completely fresh, completely new, and you had a new outlook on even like lightsabers, like, you know, the, the way that lightsabers were constructed back then, or they were attached to a little backpack. Uh, you know, I think if they were to do something like that, and I get why Marvel hasn't, because they're like, you know, oh, we got it back. We can, you know, we've got these characters we can play with. It's a clean slate. But if they'd have gone and jumped out and done something different or or maybe like even told Snoke's tale, you know, like how did Snoke come to power kind of thing, um, you know, jumping away from the main core of what's going on in the movies would have been a freedom that there aren't pursuing right now and i really think they should pursue that at some point uh whether it even be just in a what if format although i i, I would think at this point for the new canon doing what ifs is kind of like a double-bladed sword because it is kind of like well that's kind of what legends is for you could do you could be doing legends still um but i i think you know when you were talking about the the glimmering hope for legends fans at by putting out other material there is that argument for it but for me it's more of giving it the closure and the send off that we didn't get. I mean, there were things on the horizon and stories that people were still looking forward to. And it's like, yep, you're not going to get that. It's not coming. And I, I think that that feeling of being snubbed has left a lot of people just either flat out angry or feeling like they're in over their head, treading water and trying to enjoy the pool. But, oh my God, the wave machine in the corner is really making this hard to swim right now. And I think for me, that's where I've been at. It's like I've been treading water, trying to, you know, look at all the possibilities of what could be coming. And then as certain things fall into place, some of them are just been disappointing. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm not happy with Luke. Uh, I'm not happy with Han. Uh, it, it's ironic that when you think about in Legends, it was the Skywalker name that carried on. But in canon, it's the Solo name. Like for some reason, that was a paradigm shift <laughs> that I'm still kind of like, I don't know if that was the right well, choice, to, man. To be fair, the Solo name does carry on within Legends. It's just that it carries along on alongside the Skywalker. You got Anya yeah. Solo. And for the longest time, it was Jason and Jaina and Anakin we were following. Um, we, you know. Luke didn't even have a kid until New Jedi Order came around. Um, you know, who was Tahiri going to stick her fingers in the pants of if if Luke didn't have a son? You know, Wait, right? What? Well, well, and even then, like even with uh, Legacy Volume Two, we still don't know what Anya's kids were. I mean, they could have been a totally different last name for all we knew. I mean, that that is the nature of most marriages is that the the wife takes the last name. But we never even got that. Like, I mean, we never even found out what happened to 3PO. We just know what happened to R2. Like, there were so many questions that were left alone there that there was always potential. And I think that that's been the thing for me. It's like the potential was huge. But I feel like it's like when you build a homemade firework, you know, you're looking for something really cool, maybe a loud explosion. But what we got was almost like, really, that was it? Like, I put a lot of hens and chicks in there. That should have at least lit up the sky. Like, come on. And, and I think, like, you know, I'm still waiting to see Ray's story light up my sky. Uh, right now, I think the biggest issue, aside from Luke, that I'm having is the idea that the Jedi need to be done and over with. And I think the fact that they've used Luke to be that spokesperson 
really kind of irks me. Um, I'm I'm hoping in episode nine that we see Ray form a new Jedi Order and that she picks up the mantle. The idea that the Jedi needed to be wiped out and that Sidious did his job and that they shouldn't be coming back to me that is bothersome. Some of my favorite stories and legends were the stories of the new Jedi Order. You know, and and even though when that was coming out, they were starting to reference things in the prequels, like you know Luke trying to find out what the Jedi High Council should be like and how it should relate with the the politicians and the politics going on on Coruscant and should the Jedi be you know answering to the politicians or to the will of the force and the way that that kind of organically came out of the story and stuff and Luke finding his way for the Jedi not just for himself and the Luke that we get now in canon is just so fundamentally different that it makes being a fan of Jedi in general really hard because it's like why why do we have to crap on the Jedi so hard in the canon I'm really hoping that Ray is like no Luke was wrong like we need Jedi the the galaxy needs Jedi because I feel like I need Jedi (laughs) I think that part of that I mean and I'll agree so for me Last Jedi, when I first saw it, was my favorite Star Wars. I'm like, oh my god, this is awesome! Going back and rewatching it now, I still really enjoy it. But at the same time, for some reason, I guess watching it alongside other Star Wars films has allowed, it, in my particular rankings, for Rogue One to actually supersede it because that tends to be the type of you know heroic sacrifice, et cetera, et cetera, type of story um, that I'm drawn to more. Mm-hmm. So it, it Rogue One has supplanted it in my crazy tiered system of rankings and whatnot. But I still really enjoy it. I think to me, Last Jedi has made me more hopeful for uh, uh, the rise of Skywalker. Uh, is one of the things I want to mention is because really the Force Awakens, you watch it the first few times, you're like, this is so fun. And then later you're like, but it's basically a new hope, right? It's, it's very much a, we're going to touch on these, these familiar touchstones as a means of getting you back into it, making it feel Star Wars, and then we're going to introduce our own characters and ways of doing things, but a lot of it felt like a New Hope retread, as J.J. Abrams has said, you know, himself. I have to wonder, if J.J. had been in charge of the entire trilogy, would that have been essentially the way it all went? Would there have been no taking chances at all? Or does the fact that Last Jedi jumps in here. Is this possibly what sort of makes it so that J.J. has to adapt to these things that shook up the status quo and shook up expectations to give us a more creative, more daring and interesting Rise of Skywalker than we would have gotten had Ryan Johnson not done what he did with Last Jedi? Mm -hmm. So to me, I'm probably more interested in Rise of Skywalker now uh, than I probably would have been had it not been for Last Shadow, because now I kind of want to know what are they going to do with this? Um, although that plays into this whole idea, we'll talk about, you know, the plan and whatnot, if there is a plan, but one of the elements of this, you know, falls back on this whole, well, if you're going to let each writer of each film and each director of each film kind of tell their own story mm-hmm. and just let them come up with it when the time comes for them to come up with it, that's not really a plan. Lucas may not have actually have plotted things out. There's that long-standing rumor that Lucas had the prequels plotted out years ago. No, he didn't. Lucas sat down in uh, for the Phantom Minutes, you can even see it on the documentary. All I need is an idea, right? He had general ideas, general plot outline concepts, but then he ran with it and changed things and developed it along the way to make the prequels and so on. Um, same thing with the original trilogy, you know, sort of constantly revamping his ideas to get to Empire and Jedi and so on. Um, I would say, though, that from the standpoint of what you're saying with Luke, that's why I want to bring up Last Jedi. To me, I feel like Luke now is a more realistic Luke. 
doesn't mean he's necessarily a more heroic or more interesting Luke, but he's definitely a more realistic Luke in the sense that he has the normal human failings. And when stuff went bad, he's trying to protect others and the galaxy from him making decisions that he sees as more bad possible decisions, training the wrong person or failing in training and so on. Um, whereas within the Legends continuity, Luke was kind of the guy who never learned from his mistakes, right? Uh, uh, you know, oh, this guy went bad. Th th this one of your students went bad. Oh, and this one of your students went bad. And that one of your students went bad. Don't worry, we stopped them. It's okay. It's cool. Everything's fine. <laughs> Everybody said that. You think maybe you should stop training these emotionally vulnerable teens or something? Because it seems like you keep having them turn to the dark side and become the villain of the next book. Um, there's something you can do about that. And Luke kind of got, and it goes back to right what um, Mara Jade was talking about prior to them getting married uh, in the Hand of Thrawn duology, about how basically Luke Skywalker, in a lot of ways, became what he talks about in Last Jedi, right? He became Luke the Legend. Only it wasn't just Luke the Legend that people thought of, it was Luke doing all these things that made him seem like a friggin' superhero. To the point where he lost a bit of the humanity and human failings along the way. Whereas this Luke that we see now is very much mired in the human failings and doesn't have the chance to do the more heroic type stuff uh, uh, in that gap in between. I think probably a middle ground would have served the character better, but I think both of them are equally valid interpretations of the character. But with Luke, you, you mentioned a very interesting thing. Like one of the things I really dearly loved was something you mentioned, the fact that in the Legends continuity, we had this growing sense of the Jedi are coming back what does that mean for the galaxy? What does that mean for politics? I mean, as much as Fate of the Jedi, for the most part, left me feeling cold, like I really wasn't all that into Fate of the Jedi compared to Legacy of the Force that came before it, the fact that you've got the trial aspect and all the political aspects of it really stroked my interest because I am someone who's into, you know, real world politics and things like that. Um, to see that develop all came out of this idea that Luke really didn't know a whole lot about the Jedi of old, and he was sort of flying by the seat of his pants trying to find what worked better in his time. I think that is a big part of the difference between these two continuities. In the case of Legends, Luke didn't know enough about the Jedi of the prequel era and stuff because for the most part it hadn't been put on film yet to be able to avoid the same mistakes. Like he would maybe he would have made a different decision about Jedi being able to marry and have children and stuff like that if he had known anything about the prequels, but no, he didn't, so that was already a, a running theme in Legends by that point. Yeah. Um, just like, you know, ghost Jedi and stuff like that. Well, Whereas, what he did know was what, from an order even earlier, you know, like what he picked up from Dathomir was more before right, even right. Yoda's time. Really, really early stuff. Whereas the, the, the Luke we have now has the knowledge of the prequels. He knows about the relatively recent history and he's making decisions based in part on that. It's sort of the difference between, you know, if you have somebody who's trying to go into, um, they talk about the guns of August, right? The Guns of August was this story about uh, World War II, I believe it was, and the idea that, uh, I think it was World War II, um, all trying to base their decisions on the previous war, on World War I. Uh, or that's the concept. I forget which wars it is off the top. I think it's World War II and World War I. But the idea that the rules had changed, the situation had changed, the ways of engagement had changed. So if you're trying to base all your decisions on the last time a similar situation arose, you may make bad or overly cautious decisions. Whereas if you don't know anything about it, you're free to make fresh mistakes, even though those mistakes are the same mistakes that were made before, because you have nothing to learn from. You have essentially forgotten history or didn't know history, therefore 
you may be doomed to repeat it and so on. So again, context makes a difference. Um, I do like the fact though, that with current canon, at least with this, even though they're not taking a lot of chances in the books and really giving them a lot of things to do, at least what we're seeing now is something that's being produced with the films in mind as they're being released. It's not here's stuff and then here comes these films that come in and cause a bunch of retcons to have to happen. Or here's a new TV series that comes in and causes a ton of retcons and completely shatters and smashes three years of continuity. It's all being produced enough in conjunction or close enough that we're getting stuff that matters. What my concern is, is that what we're seeing with Star Wars is essentially an MCU approach, which is just without as many films, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is because we're making these films and because of the time necessary to make these films versus, say, TV series or books or comics and so on, we're going to make it so that it all officially ties together. But the books and comics are going to have to play it safe because they don't quite know what's going to be coming with the books except for what, or with the movies, except for what we tell them is an element that they can use. Um, this idea of not stepping on, not, not stepping on landmines because you're trying to cover ground that, that wasn't known before. Um, back then Lucas had rules, right? Lucas said you could not do stories after 25 years or whatever it was, or 30 years after return of the Jedi. Um, you can't couldn't kill do the big three. Right. And you can't do stories set in the Clone Wars. And then later, that was lifted. Both of those were lifted with Del Rey getting the contract and then going to New Jedi Order, which broke the first one, and then lifting it for the Clone Wars once we were heading towards um, Episode 2. And so I'm not saying the whole kind of prequel era was off limits. There really yeah. doesn't seem like there is anything that's off limits now, but it's like the fact that they've got that freedom isn't really being exercised because they're so wary of stepping on the film. So they want to make sure that they're doing it right, but doing it right means doing it cautiously. Uh, it's the difference between doing something fast and risking screwing something up versus otherwise, which we see in daily life all the time, except it becomes a frustrating thing when it's in media because we want the stuff that matters. We want the stuff that's enjoyable. Like why were we able to see so many stories in the Legends continuity build and build and build and give us this heavy era after Return of the Jedi? That's because Every freaking book series was a new galactic crisis. Good <laughs> God, there's a lot of wars after the end of the galactic civil war. But it allows for a building of one book having to build off the consequence of another because you can't ignore it. It was such a big deal. That's why they had to keep referencing Dark Empire. Yeah, it was a comic series, not a book, but the books had to reference it because it was such a big deal. Mm -hmm. You don't see that with the publications right now. It's only the movies referencing each other, um, which is again a... a, a a product of of the environment in which it's being created, I think. Uh, so now I've hit a bunch of shotgun stuff. So there you go. Well, you know, one of the things that I I was thinking about as we were talking about this is, you know, the the difference in Luke and how Luke reacted to losing his nephew and the failure of his order in canon. Right? You have a similar moment in uh, Legacy of the Force where he knows he's losing Jason and he realizes that if he's the one to go after Jason and stop him, he might become the next big bad. And so he's like, I got to step out. And then when Jason kills Mara, it becomes even worse. It's like, if Luke acts now, he's definitely going to be sealing the deal. And the, the main difference here between those two canons is that in legends, Luke had another Jedi out there you know he had other jedi to to rely on and and lean on and in the end it's his it's jason's sister that takes him out whereas in canon 
all the Jedi are wiped out, and Luke just turns and burns, man. Like, like they, he does have that same moment of crisis, and he does lose his nephew to the dark side in both of them, and it does cause him to, you know, realize that he has failed at things, and yet the way that they go forward because of the background stuff is definitely something that that's the main fundamental change of how he reacted and, and how he goes forward. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about how, you know, we've talked about it before about the direction of the story group and the people in charge and stuff. And when JJ gets to the end, he's like, well, yeah, yeah. Luke's just standing there doing, doing what? I mean, somebody had to have asked that question. What's he doing? Oh, well, that's for the next director to figure out. I don't at all think that that's how that conversation went down. They Somebody had to have had an idea for what they wanted to do with Luke. Because, I mean, you think about those rules Luke has set down, and killing the big three was, like, the number one. Like, that's something they could go back and tell a legend story of. Let's get the final story of those big three. Let's find out how each one of them freaking died. Because they never, ever touched on that. And yet, as soon as we get the new movies, what's the first thing to do? Oh, well, let's just start offing them in each one of these movies. I mean, everyone assumes Leia's going to die next let's be fair though let's be fair though with with the concept of the books and the comics they don't have to kill them off they can just let them live and live and live and say that the galaxy far far away has such great medical stuff that you know (laughs) know, 40 is the new 20 or something like that because it's in a book and all you gotta do is just somewhat age them on the covers or somewhat age them in the comics or something that the japanese covers for new jedi order did a fantastic job of that um whereas with movies if you're going to be using them they're getting old in real life Right. Yeah. I mean, eventually, you know, I mean, Harrison Ford, God bless him. I can't, I don't know how he's going to do Indiana Jones five. Is he going to be doing it from a wheelchair? Whether he wants to or not, as accident prone as he has been <laughs> recently, he probably will wind up doing it from a wheelchair. Um, yeah. At some point you have to be able to accommodate for that. But I, I, I get your point though, on the, on the idea of that. I would say though, with Luke, I wonder if for Luke, it's a difference of it's like if the very first time you ever drove a car, you got into a wreck versus getting into a wreck after driving a car for 10 years. In one case, it's going to make you extra gun shy because it's the beginning of it and you don't have the support system. Or you don't have any other examples of it going right. Whereas in the case of Legends, you've got him basically, you know, he has these, you know, students who have done good, who have turned out well, uh, gone out and done good works in the galaxy. So... J- Jason turning doesn't have to change, you know, everything for him. But it, it's, well, it's, again, it's a support system. Of approach. Yeah. It's, it's that support system. I mean, think about that. I mean, in, in canon, who does Luke have? He's not talking to Han and Leia at this moment. I mean, he's definitely, there's that awkwardness of, oh my God, I lost your kid. Whereas in Legends, it's like, they know they've lost their kid. So they're all in the same boat. Like, what the hell are we going to do about this? I mean, he had a lot more support in Legends than he did. And I I mean, I know that that's another side problem that a lot of people had is, is that they off screen never really got back together and there was no happy moments for them. And, you know, I mean, that was a, a thing that I kind of took is like, well, I'll always have legends. You know, they always they always had those big family meetings and stuff around the holiday table in Legends. But I, I know that that was something that really irked people was that. There was no family for Luke and Leia afterwards. I mean, yeah, they found out that they had a brother and sister, and yeah, they, you know, he's an uncle, and and he tried that out, but when that failed, Luke turned and burned. I mean, Luke went the orphan boy route. I have nobody, and nobody's got me. I'm gonna just go off, and I'm gonna make sure that the Jedi aren't a weapon anymore. And while that kind of serves Luke, at the same time, it's kind of like, dude, you know that your nephew is something worse than a Jedi and you've taught him like, you're just going to let that just roam free all trilly nilly. Like 
that should have been something that Luke's like, you know, I, I need to take off and I need to disappear, but I really need to shut this this little twerp down before he causes some problems. Because that's, I mean, that's the heart of the next movie right now. I mean, the little twerp's in, in control of everything. And, I mean, I'm definitely, I, I think I'm more interested in Ben Solo's story right now than anyone else in the saga next to Ray. Well, yeah, because he's the one that's the most emotionally complex and interesting, I think. Um, that's why I was a big fan of of Anakin. And I must say, especially the Stover novelization of Revenge of the Sith, um, I think it's telling, though, that the more complex characters we get, the more interesting characters we get. Those are the ones we're drawn to. I mean, my favorite characters have been from two eras that aren't even eras of films. been Kate Skywalker and Ulick Keldromo when it came to Legends. Um, so I know we're getting kind of far afield. We kind of delved into the Luke thing quite a bit. Let's make sure we hit the stuff that was specifically asked about. So I'm going to kind of run through. Maybe we can hit these, you know, sort of not rapid fire, but make sure we hit these as we go. Um, the things specifically asked about uh, in the original post. So we have the highs and the lows. Um, and I would say what they got right and biggest things that need fixing, I would think those kind of go with highs and lows. So we'll kind of combine mm-hmm. those together. So for me, the highs, um, Rebels, very well done, um, ongoing storyline, um, characters you could care about, characters who were free to have consequences because most of the characters were not like with the Clone Wars where they were film characters and you kind of knew what was already going to happen to them. Um, so a lot of freedom with that. Um, really, even been, like I said, I've really been enjoying um, the new films and the fact that we have new films at all is a huge thing. Um, they've had some really good stories like uh, Lost Stars, for example. Um, on the other hand, we've also had you know kind of some stinkers. But I would argue uh, that you had the same thing with Legends. It's just that with Legends, there's so much out there um, that for the most part – um, it's easier to find something that's not a stinker than a stinker very quickly um, because you have such a wide breadth to choose from. But there were plenty of stinkers as well. I'm not sure what the ratio would be between stinkers and not. Um, <laughs> I would say, though, if there is uh, any low, and I say also as a high with this new era, it's not really storytelling per se, uh, but tabletop gaming for Star Wars has hit an amazing level. Although, I'm really kind of frustrated by the fact that Imperial Assault has been kind of scaled back in favor of Legion. Uh, even Armada's finally started to get more stuff out. So Star Wars tabletop gaming is in a great place right now, uh, relatively speaking, compared to, to where it had been before, thanks to Fantasy Flight Games in this case. Um, I would say the lows, Star Wars video games barely exist. Um, storytelling in the books and comics and whatnot that is meant to actually be meaningful to the galaxy at large rather than just being sort of to a few characters or character studies at best. We don't see much of that at all. So most of the books feel like and the comics feel like they really don't mean much of anything. Uh, The lack of continuity specificity and chronological specificity is an absolute low because you're just going to create a train wreck at some point when you're just saying, you know, these stories all take place within this three year gap between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back. But we're not going to tell you where in the gap, relatively speaking. So it's hard to tell where Luke should be in his training and where Lando should be at this time and all that kind of stuff. Um, so the, the loose approach to that, um, quite frankly, I would say is a low, definitely. Um, and another low, and this will be something we'll talk about here in a minute, so I don't want to go into depth with it. I think that the approach to fan communication, as dictated by the world we live in now, is not in as good a place as it was at one point. Uh, but that is the last of the bullet points, so I don't want to delve into that too much yet. So for me, I mean, there have been highs, there have been lows. If I were to compare it to Legends, I don't think the storytelling yet has been as diverse and as surprising 
uh, in a lot of ways as what we saw in those first five years of Legends. But also the first five years of Legends didn't have any TV shows or movies to speak mm. of um, that really have sort of kickstarted things again. Say what you will for any of the Star Wars films. Seeing Star Wars on film again is a thrill. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, because it's such a visual story with a visual medium and so on. So, so yes, for, for me, that's highs, lows, uh, what they got right, biggest things that need fixing all kind of lumped together there. What about you? Yeah, I'm in the same boat on a lot of those things. I mean, the definite high is is you do have films and you do have small screen. Rebels is by far and away probably my favorite thing that's come out of the new canon. Um, I haven't been able to get into Resistance enough, so I can't really say it's a high or a low. I think it's got potential to be something really good, especially in the aspect of what they're trying to build up with the Resistance. Um, because it seems like every movie has whittled the Resistance down to the point where we're like less than 20 people and that's all the Resistance is. And yet we're supposed to be a bigger resistance at some point. I mean, we got to resist against the First Order, who has an unlimited number of people. Uh, But I also like the immersion aspect of things. I mean, they've definitely gone out of their way to make it a Disney product. Uh, You know, you've got your Galaxy's Edge and and everything there. You can go and you can touch and feel certain things. And things are coming more to life than ever before. Um, You know, you're seeing lightsabers from Jedi and stuff that, uh, you know, you didn't see Ahsoka Tana lightsabers back at Celebration Anaheim. Um, You know, things like that are, I think, probably one of the best things moving forward. Um, I recently took the lightsaber that I got in 99 up with me to scout camp. And uh, I've got this really cool belt attachment that allows it to slip on and off real easily. And on the fifth week, the week that my troop got there, my belt itself, the one that I use for my cosplay, the uh, class came undone. And it came undone as I was walking across the cafeteria room. And when it fell, my lightsaber fell right on the on-off button and it broke it. Uh, Luckily, it broke it on. So when I take the blade out, uh, you know, you don't know it's draining batteries. And when you plug the blade in, it's actually on still. I don't have the on-off switch. But that one never had any of the sounds and stuff. So knowing that for the same price that I bought that 99 of $200, I can go down to Galaxy's Edge and get myself one now that I can put a customized crystal into it and change the color of the blade the single fixed blade changes colors that you can have sound all this stuff you can take it apart for the same price that i paid back then is something that i am very much looking forward to um i I think that side of things is probably better than it's ever been uh for people that just don't have the skill to take fabrics and materials and put them together and create cosplay materials like 501st members and other crafters and stuff. Now you've got a place that's actually producing licensed materials. And I think that's a really cool aspect as well. Um, But I don't know, man, the the biggest low for me, will always be the fact that they're not putting out those new legend stories. Um, You know, and I keep looking for characters out there that I want to latch on to. And I think for me so far, Ezra and Kanan were the two that really spoke to me. Uh, And and of course, you know, you follow Rebels through to conclusion. You know, Kanan's not going to be around to tell a lot of new stories with. But Ezra's still there. And Ezra and even Thrawn, like, you know, they've been taken off the playing field. And I'm kind of questioning as to why. Like, those are characters that you've got resonating with people, especially people that were fans of Legends that are giving the canon a new shake. And they're not available. You know, their stories at this moment are, are finished. I mean, I think that's a low in that regard. You know, you got this high with the characters in general, but the fact that they're not telling those stories right now is a low. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, the, the movie aspect is, is so great that, yeah, we get to see the new stuff. 
But then you look at the business side of things, right? Solo came out and Solo did what some people consider a flop. And now we're not getting the Solo anthology films right now. Not Solo as in Han Solo, but just the single solitary anthology films, which, you know, like both me and you, Nate, we both feel like Rogue One is up there on the top of those films. Like that was a great one. And yet because Solo stumbled coming out the gates, now we've changed our business direction and our strategy I, so that's something that worries me. I mean, that's, you know, you've got all this potential with Disney and they do so many things right. But when things go wrong, they're quick to pull back on things. I mean, they're quick to stuff stuff into the vault, man. Like, what if they do that with Star Wars? People are all happy right now that we're getting all these movies and stuff. But if Galaxy's Edge ends up not doing as good as they're thinking and the next movie doesn't do as good as they're thinking, which honestly, you think about the way The Last Jedi came out. This one has all the potential to be just as bad as a reaction for fans as the last Jedi had and solo combined. I mean, people could be just watch that one time and like, I'm never watching star Wars again. I mean, I'm hoping that's not the case. I'm hoping that that's going to be a movie that I'm like, I'm so glad I stuck through it. And everything that the last Jedi thought I hated, it actually turned out okay because they pulled it around in the last, it was a hail Mary. Like I'm hoping that that's how I come out of the film, but I'm trepidatious as hell. Uh, and, and at that high and low is a low in and of itself. Like, I mean, there is so much potential, but sometimes when it doesn't meet that in the way that you feel like, God, I need therapy here. Like the thing I love is not something I love anymore. That's a low. And the potential there to please everybody and make everyone happy to me seems like it's an option that they're just choosing not to do. And that's something that just bothers the hell out of me. I mean, I'm of the opinion, like, yeah, you've got people that, that love legends and are pissed at Disney, right? Because they feel like their thing was cut off. Give them their solace. Wrap that up so they can, you know, so they can let it die and shift over. I mean, the way they've done it, it's very hard for some people to let go. And I'm definitely in that camp of I'm trying desperately to walk away. But there's so many things that I still love and want to know about. So that's one of those things that for me is definitely a black hole that my fandom has surrounded itself. I'm just cannot escape that, that vortex, the gravity of that situation for me. Um, so like, I'm looking forward to going down to galaxy's edge, but I don't think I'm going to go to celebration. I think I'm, I'm going to just go and do uh, the galaxy's edge instead because the added drama of the way fandom is just so complex and everyone likes different things and running into people like i mean i i love running into other star wars fans but i don't love running into other star wars fans that all they have to say is something negative and unfortunately it doesn't really matter which topic you talk about be it canon legends or a new movie there's always somebody that hated something about it and it's like man i'm just ready to just embrace the stuff that i love uh, and it's hard when there are so much things surrounding my collection down here that are from a universe that I absolutely love that just doesn't get the love I feel it deserves. Uh, so that's a that's a big low for me in an era of high of everything can be put out there and they've got so much you know money behind everything that they can give you these figures and these really cool looking statues and all this stuff. And yet they're just choosing to just, just forsake one set of it. And that, that's the side of the fan reactions that, that it feels like there is a business strategy that has been put forward out there. And that that's something that someone has decided we're going to do this. And I, I think that that's something like, as we get to that point with the fan reactions and, and how the, they're interacting with the fandom, I think that they need some work there. Um, you know, I mean, you look at other franchises that Disney owns and you don't see this problem. 
And you think about that with Marvel. I mean, Marvel especially, like their cinematic universe is a, is a fundamentally different version of a lot of the characters than what you're seeing on the screen from the page. You know, the Spider-Man you see on the screen is not at all the Spider-Man you see on page. And people are okay with that. I mean, yeah, there, there might be a small contingent out there that are pulling their hair out, but not as much as what you've got going on in Star Wars right now. And it's like the potential has always been there. The directions they've chose to get where they're at here, I feel like they've snubbed a lot of of what could have been freeways, and they just made them little paths that are just kind of like being overgrown with bushes. And they're like, let's just forget that path ever existed. And I'm just like, yeah, but there's like five really cool waterfalls down this way, guys. Let's go. I think one thing with Marvel versus Star Wars, though, also is that Star Wars started as films. And where the biggest criticisms are coming now is from the new films. So it's still within that same you know, media type. Whereas mm -hmm. with comics, you know, you have the comics themselves, and then these are sort of, you know, based on those same characters, but it's a different medium. It's, I think it's kind of one of those things where, you know, we might accept an alternate universe version of Star Wars in print more readily than looking at an alternate version, say, in film. Whereas with comics, they've already kind of got the, the fact that there's already sort of that reversed um, reversed medias as far as what was the source material and what built from there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, I'm very much in agreement with you on most of that stuff. I think for me, it's just, I'm able to take more of a laid back approach where, you know, I'm trying to enjoy just Star Wars as it is. And if it's canon, great. If it's Legends, great. Um, but at the same time, I also know that with me not doing the Star Wars timeline gold, there is a fundamental difference in my approach to reading and whatnot. For Star uh -huh. Wars. I don't feel the pressure that I need to read everything now, 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 now. I don't have as much excitement for new releases. New releases are tending to pile up at this point. And I think that that I, I can I'm self-aware enough to be able to say that I know that some of my uh, my some of my ability to enjoy comes from the fact that I now don't have the timeline pressure on me. So even if something is not necessarily chronologically pinned down, it doesn't bother me as much. While at the right. same time, the fact that I'm not doing it doesn't put the urgency there and the excitement for each new release, which just takes the fact that they're not doing as much with the books and comics at this point in terms of groundbreaking storytelling or big galactic events, um, just, just exacerbates what already exists as an issue there. Whereas I can jump in and, you know, watch the, the shows and whatnot. I would love to go to Galaxy's Edge someday. My wife is probably going to have two or three surgeries within the next year. Um, I'm thinking maybe one of the times where they've got her under, they might as well just take out one of her kidneys and they can take one of mine. And then maybe we'd be able to sell those to afford a decent trip to galaxy's edge by the time that, you know, that, that Kate is, is of an age to be able to do that. Um, mm -hmm. all right. So let's see. So we've talked about highs and lows, talk about what they got, right. Uh, biggest things they need, how it compares to the early EU. Uh, we've essentially talked about as we went along, um, Lucasfilm and the story group's vision and philosophy regarding publishing material, um, what their goals were and what they are in the new era. I think we sort of delved into that at this point. That's uh, a hard one because I don't think they've ever officially said anything in the first place. Like they, they're still kind of nebulous in their approach of what they're doing. Well, it's like their original approach was we're going to tell Star Wars stories and we're going to do something innovative and link them together, which hadn't really been done at that point. But it was just to kind of keep Star Wars growing and keep Star Wars alive and sort of rebuilding it as a franchise. Whereas now, it's sort of a it's it's still a similar idea. We're going to bring it back, but it's being done through the movies and whatnot, which makes the publishing arm basically, like I said, sort of the hype machine in a lot of cases. It's not the primary means of doing that. Um, 
And it's just a different beast when you're dealing with the idea of what makes movies successful, um, how movies are made and so on, how movies are perceived versus print. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a different type of thing. That said, I would argue that from a, a standpoint of planning, I'm not sure how much planning there was with the early EU stuff at, in the first few years because yeah. they weren't dealing with the films that they had to lead into. And there was they were sort of jumping off of each other. But I don't know that anybody was like, you know, in X amount of years, we're going to head towards, you know, this big thing that could be the new Jedi Order. Or we're even heading towards Vision of the Future, Spectre of the Past kind of stuff. It was sort of an organic growth. Um, whereas in this case, you would expect there to be a plan because you have these big budget movies coming. And now we expect big planned out things from things like the MCU and other franchises where expanding a universe is no longer the oddball. Now it is somewhat expected in sci-fi fandom. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that they don't have a plan, maybe it's not all that different than what they were doing early on in the Legends continuity. But yeah. the stakes are higher now. The expectations are different now. So now what back then would have just been, oh, they're allowing the authors to do their thing and they're linking it all together and letting it build organically. That's cool. Now that same thing is that's going to be a train wreck right. when in theory it's sort of a similar um, approach. Uh, and really, you could say that even from a standpoint of canon, even though it was never that the that the uh, the continuity stuff, um, the sea canon stuff of the Legends continuity was ever considered canon on par with the films at any point. Um, in the early talk, it was all just sort of we're going to make Star Wars and it's all going to be one thing. It wasn't until really we got to a point where I mean, you always saw the delineation between levels, but you see that now, even though they're not saying it. If a book contradicts a movie, congratulations, the movie wins. Yeah, they're still Lego Lego movies like (laughs) well, and that stuff's the the non continuity stuff anyway. But to say that, um, you know, that it's all that different. I mean, yeah, eventually it became different. The perception wise, I mean, folks were just thinking, no, it's the movies and it's these stories back then. There wasn't a lot of thought to what could it mean if Lucas stepped back in and did something else. Well, even um, legends like it, it didn't get to the point where they really had a group of people until about New Jedi Order. I, I mean, the series that came out right before that right. wasn't doing that. But after the New Jedi Order, they're like, you know, having all these authors get together and have a roundtable meeting and, and discuss ideas really worked. So why don't we do that for the next few series? And, and even then, though, that's still a different beast than what we're seeing with the story group, because the story group is sort of the on high overall of Star Wars thing. But it's a set group of people. Yeah. Uh, whereas. And they're not really dealing with the more nitty-gritty aspects of continuity as much, it seems. Whereas previously you had Leland Chi, who was eventually brought in, Leland Chi handling all the sort of the nitty-gritty, you know, you know, keeping track of stuff within the Holocron continuity database. But in situations like what you talk about, like the planning sessions for New Jedi Order, a planning session for Legacy of the Force, and so on, yeah, they were roundtable groups to try to figure out what to do, but it was made up of the authors themselves and where they intended to go with it, plus representatives from the companies. Whereas in this case, it seems like the story group, it, like like back then it was like an impromptu work group, right? It was sort of a, we're going to build a group of whoever is needed for this particular project right now. And that group will exist while the project is going and then be disbanded. Whereas this is a permanent working group. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the primary players are throughout, but they're also not the ones actually creating the stories themselves um, and so on as they go. So it's a different, and it's kind of a different beast. I would love to see a more more evidence that there is a plan in place now. But it's interesting to juxtapose that with the early days of the Legends continuity when there also didn't seem to be that much of a plan. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we had you know, Jedi Prince versus, you know, Courts of Princess Leia as one of the big, you know, clashes at the time. Um, so we've dealt with that. 
And then I guess the other thing, the biggest other topic remaining is just the difference in relationships with fans and the online community. And I would say that for the most part, I think Lucasfilm and the people behind Star Wars have always been fairly good-natured people who have tried to interact well with fans. Whether yeah. we're talking about the original um, fan club newsletter that became the original Bantha tracks back in the day, um, or we're eventually getting up to the early websites and things like uh, StarWars.com having its own forums and whatnot, to now the interactions you see on social media, particularly people like Matt Martin answering questions and whatnot. Um, as we go, I feel though that right now we are not in what you could say is sort of the Renaissance type era or a golden age mm -hmm. of fan community interaction. It's more um, Cold War, <laughs> kind of primarily because I think I think that was probably more like late '90s, early 2000s, because you had the website with a dedicated forum or set of forums on specific topics where people in official capacity had the ability to answer questions and discuss in their official capacity and keep things somewhat, you know, somewhat cordial. Everybody mm -hmm. kind of knew that if they stepped out of line and started acting like a-holes, they might be banned. They might have something moderated away. Um, it was sort of cordiality through enforcement. Right. Yeah. It's the I'm going to be nice because I don't want to be excluded from being able to have these conversations, which granted is a form of censorship. But no, that's not a violation of the First Amendment because First Amendment applies to government doing it, not private companies through terms of service. Get over it. Um, but now it's sort of the flip side where we have much more access directly to the directors, to the actors, um, to the writers and so on through social media which has also made it something that is more accessible in more places than typically just the one website with its official forums. Now you've got, you know, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and so on and so on as these places Reddit. to interact with them. Yeah. But the problem with it is that I don't think it's a fandom thing, right? I think that that in and of itself could have been a great thing for Star Wars discourse. Take the mindset, the approach, the cordiality and the thoughtful conversations you often saw on the official site's forums, where, granted, full disclosure, I got to be a purple person, a VIP, thanks to writing tales. And that was basically it. It got me a VIP thing, which I'm not sure was ever really justified. But hey, you know, purple. Um, the one who the, crossed over. <laughs> yeah. The, the fact that, uh, that, that that potentially could have been how it spun out into these other media. And sometimes you still see that from time to time. But social media and the culture that we're in now has become such a knee-jerk, mm -hmm. um, combative, to some degree, virtue signaling as opposed to actually seeking virtue. Um, and just sort of this, this, for lack of a better term, like a cesspool, basically, mm -hmm. or this free-for-all, this Thunderdome. The screenshot, the, use it for my argument <laughs> mentality. Right. This type of thing where... Society is already very polarized on many different issues, and that takes to social media and makes them a very combative atmosphere oftentimes. And you take Star Wars and you put it into that mode, along with the entitlement culture, along with um, the my opinion is the opinion type of thing, um, and so on and so on. The I must destroy anyone with a different opinion. You still saw that back then on message boards and so forth. Mm -hmm. But again, the fact that it was a specific locale with specific constraints in terms of service and whatnot – 
Oh well, yeah, a mod, sort of, a mod would come in and boop, you're done for right, at least a week. Allow, right. It, for lack of a better term, it allowed it to at least stay mostly on topic. Although I'm sure there was frustration of people who wanted to speak out in rage who then weren't able to. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's sort of the, it's such a free for all that there's a lot of noise. You wind up with small groups like, you know, I'm going to do this. I think Star Wars is this, which gets shared amongst maybe what, 20 people. And because yeah. of the clickbait nature of websites at this point, it gets picked up as there's this major Star Wars movement of this. No, not really. It's a few douchebags over here, but okay, you got your clicks. Um, it's just sort of one of those things where our culture in general has shifted enough, particularly due to the advent of social media, I think, uh, that the fan interactions, while still positive in many cases, have become just a small portion of this bigger ecosystem of a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, I can understand why you would have people who are Star Wars you know, actors or editors or story group members or whatever, who will simply stop talking Star Wars at all on their social media or will simply say, you know what, I'm done with social media altogether because of the kind of things that you're seeing. You know, there was still, you know, there, I'm sure there were people who were racist against Samuel L. Jackson or Billy D. Williams back in the day. I'm sure that that existed, but you didn't see it within the mainstream discussion because the mainstream discussion tended to be with the official site forums where you're having that direct interaction. Whereas mm-hmm. at this point, if it's so decentralized that the the racism against, say, Kelly Marie Tran can become a huge cacophony, um, even if it's still not a majority of people who are actually speaking, it's it's just a different nature. I'm not sure that their interactions have become more negative per se, as as far as the the official people. I think think it's more guarded. Yeah, it's more guarded because of the nature that we're in. And I will say also that I think that Disney had a role in that even early on, because Mm -hmm, even mm -hmm. before the controversy of, say, Last Jedi and so on, um, Leland Chi, for instance, I used to be able to just email him questions of continuity stuff. And we could talk through email back and forth and clarify things and whatnot. It was, it was a cool thing to be able to do. When the reboot was about to happen and when the buyout had happened, his parameters changed and he could not have those type of discussions outside of public anymore. And only when it was something he was allowed to go out and talk about. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, there's also a guarding from a PR standpoint of just the approach that Disney takes uh, and its subsidiaries take versus what Lucasfilm by itself had taken. But I think and the biggest changes have got to be atmosphere and social media at this point. I'm not sure that it's an apples to apples comparison at all to try no. to compare fan interactions then to now because the context has changed so much that the comparisons start to break down. And that guarded company approach is kind of where I was going to come from because we even have uh, a host on one of our podcasts on the network that works under the umbrella of Disney. And when that buyout came, that individual was really concerned that their role in their podcast might have to come to an end. And they had to reach out through legal channels to find out, is it okay to continue to do what I'm doing here? Uh, And, you know, you think about the nature of the fandom and the social media and the way it's gone and people, you know, screenshot and use things in their arguments and stuff. So it makes sense that Disney would basically say to a degree, you guys need to pump your brakes on how often you're interacting with these people. And then there's that line of, well, you know, I'm on Twitter. It's my personal account. Cause I remember even Pablo had some tweets where he's like, you know, I choose to talk about this. I'm not paid to talk about this. This is my account. And so you've got that aspect of, well, yeah, it's your public account. But when you're talking about 
our business, our entity that we own, there are things we want you to talk about, things we don't want you to talk about. We don't want you to get riled up. And now, now there's never been a conversation where they had that with Pablo, but I am sure that they have put out statements like that to their people. Cause I know people that work with characters at Disney and there are things that they are flat out told. These are things you can say. These are things you will not say. Well, if, and, I, if, I, can toss on, if I can toss on an example of this, this lack of a line between personal and business, take Chuck Wendig. The yes. statements of Chuck Wendig that were so inflammatory that pissed off so many people on his personal Twitter, but on which he used to talk about his work at times. Eventually, he was told, nope, nope, we're cutting ties with you. You're not going to be doing this particular project for us anymore. Um, yeah. That is another social media thing. It blurs the lines. If it's not an official forum and you acting in an official capacity, if you are speaking as yourself in some social media platform, but you're talking about business, where does the line get drawn and what does the company uh, – what, what should fans and what should the company uh, look at in terms of how they perceive are you acting on behalf of the company? Are you acting on behalf of yourself? Or is there even a line? Mm -hmm. anymore yeah so i definitely feel like from the disney side of things there was not not necessarily a hush order but there was a you know you guys need to be very careful and cognizant of what you guys are posting and you need to be aware of it and i think chuck also helped put a, a, a spotlight on that in general for everybody working under that umbrella um because like i said i mean I, knowing people that have worked for disney and and the jokes of the long arms and ears of the mouse is very, you know, it, it, there's some truth there. And it's definitely something where I think it comes down to how you say what you say, but also um, how integral you are, right? Like Chuck Wendig spouts off uh, against the political right and does so in a very uh, abrasive way, in a profanity-laden way and so on. And they're like, nope, we're going to cut ties. Whereas you have uh, Mark Hamill out there constantly going after Trump on Twitter, um, <laughs> it, usually in an amusing way. But he's essentially speaking about many of the same things, but he's doing it in a slightly different way, a, a less abrasive way And when he's doing it, kind of going more for humor oftentimes. Um, but also, you don't have Luke Skywalker appearing in Episode Nine without Mark Hamill. So he is safe to be able to say pretty much whatever and know that it's not going to have the axe fall on him. Or if it does, he has a good bargaining position to be able to say, no, you're not going to tell me what to say. Whereas someone who is, per, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of a cog in the machine that is not as integral and could be replaced by another writer, another artist, another whoever, um, they wind up being ones who have to be kind of, of scaled back a bit. I mean, I guess to me, if I were to put any label on uh, on fandom interaction from then to now, it's simply that it is dictated by the technology and the society, the societal norms. It is not dictated by Star Wars itself. It is not dictated by the people participating. Um, mm -hmm. I would hope that maybe, just maybe, um, we'll be seeing something that's a little more cordial in the future. That said, I mean, I doubt it, but I hope so. Um, that said, either of these, even as contentious and and ridiculous as it sometimes now gets, I still think it is a better thing than what we saw prior to the advent of the internet as a whole, because the communication was almost non-existent outside of things like conventions or writing into a newsletter, right? The, the internet became the thing that allowed more communication and allowed more connectivity, which has been fantastic. It has also allowed the darker side of our nature to become part of that process as well, which has been the downside. 
Um, but yep. it's it's hard to not leave out. It, it, sorry, it's hard to not address the pre-internet era, the pre-Star Wars.com forums era, when we're talking about how fandom interaction has changed, because that was a sea change um, back in the '90s um, when that was taking place. So, mm -hmm. by and large, um, I guess if I were to try to put a name or or, or a quick descriptor to the era now versus the era that we were looking at. The first five years of, of this continuity versus the first five years of the previous continuity. I guess to me it would be, um, it's an era in which we have new films, which is fantastic, but an era in which because of new films and a different approach, we have a lot of publications, if we're just talking publications, that aren't knocking it out of the park as much and aren't as intriguing because they aren't being able to do their own thing, to be adventurous, to be uh, daring in a way that we otherwise would have seen before. That now, even though it's all meant to fit, it's all canon. Well, yeah, it is, except we wind up in a situation where, because it's even though it's all canon, there is still a subservience of one publishing media versus another, which winds up giving us a situation where it's not as overall uh, engaging within the books and the comics and so on. Um, or even even it, the way that they're doing the characters, there's those not new rolling character story cartoons they've got, you know, the Lego ones that we talk about that are like, well, they're not quite canon. They're not quite infinities either. <laughs> it, it sort of feels like the, the EU initially was, here's a stable of really passionate writers who want to get into Star Wars and we're going to make something out of a, a franchise that had pretty much been dead for a while, or if right. not dead, had been fading for a while because there was still stuff, you know, even you know, a matter of what a year or two prior to the relaunch. Um, uh, if you're looking at a bunch of the, you know, like even the more obscure stuff, whereas now it's sort of a relaunch of something into a completely new media type, into a completely new era of media that is, um, with new expectations where it feels more like a business. I, Star Wars has always been a business, but I, I have to say, I feel like now it feels more of the typical entertainment media corporate structure than it did previously. Probably because of the dominance of new films and TV along with books and comics and so on. It's probably just that. Um, probably not necessarily Disney. It could have been anybody that owned them, and if they're taking this approach, it would have felt um, similar in that vein. But it definitely feels less like this is this niche of you know, love for the saga building it versus there's love for the saga, but there's also heavy corporate interest playing a role in it and dictating what we see. Um, but we've enjoyed it enough that hopefully they'll be able to grow from here. But I just, I don't see, I don't see the storytelling depth and variety of locations, characters, settings, um, storytelling styles and so forth. I don't see that happening with canon unless they sort of let go of the reins and allow the experimentation that we saw with a lot of stories within Legends. Otherwise, mm -hmm. we're going to wind up have is a lot of cool new movies and new TV series once Resistance really starts realizing it's a Star Wars show in, in more than just a few episodes in a season. Right. Um, but a publishing arm that in a lot of ways feels like the MCU. Wow, these movies rock. Do I really need to watch Inhumans? Do I really need to watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Do I need to watch the Netflix stuff? Do I need to watch Runaways? And wow, do I really need to read any of the actual canonical comic tie-ins at all? Like Fury's Big Week? Not really. Um, we are at a point where, you know, 
It's just, it's not. In the words of another sci-fi franchise, Jeffrey Sinclair of Babylon 5, nothing's the same anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's what it is. That's what you would expect, you know, 40 plus years on for a franchise. Now, I would just love to see Marvel just take a stake and, you know, throw throw a dart at a number and go back like 10,000, 100,000 or go forward a couple thousand years and just start building like like uh, Dark Horse did. You know, just let's strike out in an era where we could destroy a world and we've put enough time between us and the core story that that world can be back to the way it was naturally. Uh, you know, I, I think that that would allow them to have more of stories that have what feel like an impact. You know, I mean, not like it's just a story where like, OK, you know, hey, yeah, we destroyed Coruscant. We made a rainbow bridge out of it. But we're not going to talk about that again. So it's not a big deal. Like, but, I, but, I, that's but what Mark, I like. If they do that, though, they won't be able to hype up the next movie or TV series. They'll be using their publishing for, you know, other stuff. Well, That's I'm not saying business. exclusively. I mean, just let's give like five writers one job. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I'm just just being facetious here. Um, I'm given the thought process that seems to be going on now. But uh, not to say that we haven't enjoyed some of the newer stuff. It's and mm-hmm. that the newer stuff isn't as varied in quality as what we saw back with Legends as well. It's just it again is a fundamental difference. We don't need to necessarily make a judgment call on good versus bad. Uh, yeah. Again, I have a very hard time making a judgment call myself between Legends and Canon because. The Legends continuity is still my favorite by far. On the other hand, I'm loving the new movies, and I loved Rebels, and we don't get those with Legends. Um, I'm not sure how someone who is a fan of all types of Star Wars can come away with a definite winner or loser. There's preferences depending on the media. Um, They both have their their strengths and weaknesses. And to be fair, so do the Infinity stuff, you know? Yeah. I was really intrigued by Infinity's A New Hope. That continuity itself is teeny tiny, and yet it still fascinates me. So we just have to be willing to go with it. I've always said from the start that every single Star Wars product, be it a movie, a comic, a book, anything, even video games, each one of them has its own highs and lows. I mean, there are things about them that suck, and there are things about them that make it like, you need to read this story. Um, Granted, some of them do fall short along the way, and there's just like very few of those moments, but every one of them has a reason. I mean, I'll still watch some of the movies and skip past certain scenes, because I'm just like, I want to get to the sword fight. Like, I'm ready for the, I want the action. Uh, You know, and I think that that too is the nature of this IP. I mean, it is spoke out to so many people on so many levels in so many ways that, you know, you're never going to please everybody and you're never going to upset everybody. And I think that that's part of the nature uh, for us fans. And I, and I think like for me, especially, you know, looking at what Adam was saying, you know, the, the therapy angle, it's like, you know, you've loved this for so long and now you find yourself on the wall with certain things where you're like, man, I really don't like this. And everyone else is like, I still love it. And you're like, I wish I loved it. Why am I loving it? Uh, but there's still so much room to grow and for Star Wars as a franchise to grow. And there is still that potential. They could always go back and tell more legend stories. So that potential is still there, even though they haven't done it. And it still irks me at times. The potential has never gone away. And that's something that fills my heart with joy. And we'll see. I mean, we are coming up into the closest thing to a Legends continuity style building era um, in the near future than we've seen so far with the new canon, because once we have Rise of Skywalker out, it will be years until we have any new Star Wars films. And in the meantime, it'll just be the publishing lines and the Disney Plus stuff. 
And granted, the Disney Plus stuff could be the stuff that they cluster around and make that what they build the hype machine for, so everything feels like it has to be built in and tied to that. But this could also be the era in which they have a chance to really tell some new stories and new eras and whatnot with the books. They have a chance to get out from under the thumb of new films for a little while and see where they can go with it. Will it be that TV simply takes the place of the movies or will it be a time of experimentation? We will have to see, but we are going to see starting basically next year. Yeah, I mean, there's still so much about the ancient Sith and the way the Sith formed that they haven't clued us in on. I mean, that's a mystery that I am still looking forward to seeing how that unrolls. Ah, yes. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. And remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. But no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It is literally the best way to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars, Legends, or any other questions, just fire off a comment to us. Uh, you can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we did want to mention to you once again our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash StarWarsReport, you get a free trial run of Audible to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles and it's growing daily. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe, the canon one, or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that some people just stopped listening after the first five minutes are now writing great screeds about how I am well and voila, traitor to my people for starting to sell parts of my collection. I expect at least a little bit of that once this episode is out there again. They're like, sell out! You sold it! You sell out! <laughs> uh, you know, when I first heard that, I was like, oh man. That hurts. Just knowing he's getting rid of But, you know, it's that digital thing. Like, you're not really getting rid of it as long as you got your digital still, you know? Right? Or can right? get digital. I don't have digital for most of it. I uh -oh. didn't rebuy stuff as ebooks. It's just that if I want to reread it, that's how I'm going to wind up buying it. Because that's the only chance I'm going to have to read it. So, oh, yeah. damn. The fundamental cultural value these days of being able to tell other people what they can do with their property. No. Right? <laughs> no. You have to hold on to it forever, Nathan. You're going to pass that down to Kate. He's going to listen to this episode and be like, Dad, what the hell? <laughs> I'm waiting for the robot chicken where it's like, traitor! And Finn just looks at me and goes, oh, STFU. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm just happy I have a big garage. <laughs>